Thank you, Nola. Well, please uh, keep your Bibles open. Uh, year 6 to 8 are going to head out uh, for Bible study now. And as we come to consider this, uh, this part of God's Word, let's pray. Our Father God, we, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, you have spoken to us. We thank you for your word and we ask that you would give us now ears to hear, minds to understand and hearts to respond to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who do we listen to? Or what do we listen to? Currently you're listening to me, I hope, unless you've uh, kind of mastered the art of the screensaver and you've tuned out already. (laughs) You're listening to me? Uh, but who do we listen to and what, what do we listen to in life in general? Who, who are the voices, the, the, the messages, the information sources that, uh, that we hear, that we listen to, that we take on? What is it that, that feeds us? Is it the, uh, the Facebook news feed or Instagram, YouTube, other social media? Is it uh, t- the TV, Netflix, the news, advertising? Uh, is it music? Is it friends? Family, teachers, is it the Bible, is it books, audiobooks, what, is it ourselves and, and what we think? What is it that, that we listen to? You know, apparently the, uh, the average Facebook user spends on average 50 minutes each day on Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, that's the, the average. Uh, TV is still up there with a, uh, an average of 2.9 hours per day. Uh, And one study claimed that that teenagers spend up to nine hours per day on social media. That's that's 24 hours in a day, up to nine hours. Apparently adults uh, under 45 years of age send and receive about 85 texts every day. We live in a day and age of of being bombarded constantly with, with information, with voices, with with voices clambering for our attention. And we're more connected than ever in one sense. We're connected to whatever information we choose, whatever voice that we want to listen to. We can access it. We're connected. Which means that we're necessarily constantly assessing and making decisions about all sorts of information and voices. Most of it happens just subconsciously. Or maybe habitually, we, we just decide what we listen to, what we, we don't listen to. Now, one voice that we, uh, we listen to, we've just listened to it a couple of times this morning, is the Bible. How do we listen to the Bible? How do we assess and decide about this book, this source of, of information? What, what do we do with it? To what extent do we listen to it? How do we listen to it? How should we listen to it? Now, I'm a minister and a preacher, and so you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that I'm, I'm probably going to say, listen to the Bible. Indeed, I am. Read the Bible. And that's right. I do want to say that. But, you know, I, I want to say more than that. I want to say why. I want us to consider why listen to the Bible. And in what way should we listen? What is its message and what should we what should we do with that? What should you do with that? What should I do with that? How should we listen to it? This part of the Bible that we're looking at this morning in, in Paul's letter to the Galatians, it raises this issue for us because the people that he wrote to 
We're being urged by others to not listen to his message, to dismiss him and his message. And so he writes to give his defence, to explain why they should in fact listen to his message. And Paul's answer, his, his reason, it helps us as we live our lives amidst this constant bombardment of, of all sorts of voices and information as we assess and decide consciously or subconsciously what we listen to. This gives us guidance. This gives us direction. This actually lights the path up for us as to why we should listen to God's word. So look with me. Uh, l- listen to these 13 verses, these 253 words. It's about the length of two text messages. Or well, one if you're, you know, do lots of this. Let's have a look. Paul starts... Um, He starts by telling his readers what he really wants them to know. That's pretty helpful. Up front, he says, says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters. Here it is, he says. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, why was this such an important issue? Well, we saw last week in the beginning of chapter 1, verse 7, we saw that some people, it says there, are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. It seems that, and it seems one of the ways they're doing that is by discrediting Paul, trying to turn the Galatians against him. If you flip over to chapter 4, actually it might come up on the screen, I'm not sure, chapter 4, verse 17, he speaks of those people who are zealous to win you over. But for no good, what they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. So they're trying to, to win these people over, they're, to alienate the Galatians from Paul. And it seems they're trying to do that by discrediting him, discrediting his message. Maybe they're saying things like, oh, look, you know, Paul's not the real deal. I mean, he just learnt his gospel from other people. He just, it's secondhand, There's nothing special about him and his message. You don't need to listen to Paul. And against them, Paul says, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. The gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. It's not my message, says Paul. It's not the church's message, which I learned. It's God's message. And then he goes on to to prove that by pointing to the history of what happened in his life before his conversion, at his conversion, and after his conversion. We're going to to look through and see that. So firstly, he says, look look at what happened before my conversion. Paul, or, or rather Saul as he was known then, he hated the church, he hated Jesus, and he hated anyone who followed him. He says, verse 13, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Saul wasn't, he wasn't just kind of you know, disinterested or neutral about Christianity. No, he, he, he passionately opposed it, intensely opposed it. Uh, we read in Acts, uh, Acts 8 verse 3, it says that Paul began to destroy the, sorry, Saul, as he was known then, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now that's commitment. If you think door knocking is a little bit intense, 
That's got nothing, nothing compared to Saul's version of door knocking. I mean, he went around finding people. Hello, are you a Christian? Yes, come with me. He dragged them off to prison. In Acts 9 verse 1, it says, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul had people imprisoned. He even had them put to death. We read in Acts 26 verse 10, it talks about him casting his vote against them as they were put to death. Before his conversion, Paul intensely persecuted the church. He tried to destroy it. He regarded this message of Jesus as a threat that must be removed. And he does that because, as he continues, he was committed to Judaism. Verse 14, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He says in Acts 26, when he's on trial before King Agrippa, says that he conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Saul was passionate, zealous for upholding the traditions of his religion and opposing anyone or anything who might question or threaten it, especially followers of Jesus. Now, given Paul's state before his conversion, the gospel that he then went on to preach, it didn't come from him. It couldn't have come from him. Uh, as if, you know, he just came up with it himself as a logical next step expression of his position? No. I mean, that would be like Donald Trump tweeting tomorrow morning that North Korea is great and, and, and he wants to go and he wants to work for their military to advance their nuclear weapons program. I mean, if, if you saw that on Twitter, you'd think, well, where's that message come from? It's, it couldn't have come from him. It's a obviously come from someone else. Maybe someone's hacked his Twitter account. That would be the, the, the logical thing to conclude. Now, I'm, I'm not wanting to, uh, to liken the gospel of Jesus to North Korea's nuclear program. <laughs> but my point is that to think that the gospel Paul preached is something that he, he came up with himself is just completely ludicrous given who Paul was before his conversion. He intensely, violently opposed the gospel. No, it would have taken some, something, someone else beyond Paul to cause him to, to start preaching the faith that up until then he tried to destroy. The gospel he preached didn't come from him. No, it came from God. That's what he goes on to, to show. Secondly, at his conversion, God changed him. God gave him this message of the gospel. Look at verse 15. It says there, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Notice the shift there of who this is talking about. So verses 13 and 14, it's all about me, I, my way of life. I persecuted the church. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism. But verse 15, it's God. God set me apart. God called me by his grace. God revealed his son in me, says Paul. God brought about this change in Paul. How extraordinary that God would do that and do that to Paul, to, for Paul. God set him apart. He, he chose him, it says, before he was even born. Before he had a chance to do anything, God chose him and had a task for him. 
And then at the right time, he called him by his grace. Despite Saul's sin, God graciously stopped him in his tracks, literally, and called him to himself. Just keep a finger in uh, in Galatians and and, uh, turn back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. And, uh, and I'll read, this is the account of what happened to, to Saul on the road to Damascus. Has someone got a page number this, Acts chapter 9? 1,100. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Uh, 9 verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. We could continue reading, but turn turn back to Galatians. What an extraordinary display of God's grace. He chose Saul, chose him to be his chosen instrument and transformed him. What a staggering display of God's extraordinary generosity to forgive Saul to call him by his grace, to set him apart, to call him by his grace. And and God revealed, it says, his son in Paul. He showed him Jesus, revealed the good news of Jesus so that he might preach him among the Gentiles. So it's clear at Saul's conversion, Paul's conversion, that the message he received, that he, he then went on to preach, was not from people. It was received by revelation of Jesus Christ. It came from God. Well, that's then thirdly confirmed even more by what happened after his conversion. And Paul's at pains to point this out, that he wasn't taught the message by other people. 
The message he preached didn't come from the church. He didn't go and say, oh, guys, I've heard something about Jesus. Can you please fill me in? That didn't happen. Look again at what he says. End of verse 16, I'll read it. Uh, End of verse 16, he says, My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. Paul says that in the 14-year period after his conversion, he lived, he ministered, he preached the gospel of Jesus completely independently of the apostles in Jerusalem, the headquarters of the church, except for one very brief 15-day visit to Jerusalem to meet Peter and James. And that didn't happen until three years after his conversion. The gospel message he preached was not something he learned from the church leaders in Jerusalem. As he says, verse 12, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, this was, a, uh, this was an important issue for the Christians in Galatia because some people were getting in amongst them and, and trying to discredit Paul and, and turn them against listening to him. You know, the same still happens today. People will, will dismiss parts of the Bible written by Paul by saying, well, that's just what Paul says. I mean, he's, he's just one man giving his perspective, his interpretation. What they're effectively saying is the gospel Paul preached, well, it was his. It was from him. It was his interpretation and perspective. So, you, you know, you can take it if you like or leave it if you like, listen to it if you like, don't listen if you like, because he's just a man. And his gospel is just from a man. Or others will dismiss parts of the Bible written by Paul by saying, well, you know, that that just reflects the teaching and values and the culture of, of his day. And what they're saying is the message Paul preached did come from human origin. It was determined by the teaching and culture of his day. And so you can take it or leave it. I mean, we live in a different day. We live in a different culture. So dismiss Paul and his culture if you like. Well, some people will say things like, look, I I like Jesus, I follow Jesus, but I don't like Paul. I mean, he's too negative. If someone says that, you can be pretty sure they haven't read properly either Jesus or Paul because you can't drive a wedge between Jesus and Jesus' apostle, Paul. As Paul shows in Galatians 1, the gospel he preached was not from him, was not from the teachings and values of his day, It was from God, from Jesus Christ. God intervened, set him apart, called him, revealed to him the gospel. God spoke to Paul and spoke through Paul. God has spoken. Now, we may not have uh, people in our ear urging us to dismiss Paul and and the gospel he preached. I, I hope you don't. 
Although I do, from time to time, hear people say things, you know, dismiss God's word by saying things like, well, that's just, that's just cultural, and so that doesn't apply to us. We do need to understand culture. We do need to understand the context that the, the, the Bible is written to address so as we can listen to it and read it properly and, and, and hear it and, and obey it, not so that we can just dismiss it as irrelevant. We may not have people in our ear telling us, uh, turning us against Paul. I hope you don't. But let's make sure that in practice we don't end up doing something similar. I think this can be a problem with, um, with some Christian books and devotional writings and preachers where, where God's word is, is referred to, but is actually in practice kind of sidelined and, and used as a, as a springboard. Now read these few verses and, and then let me talk about what I want to talk about. And, and the words and the thoughts and the interpretations and experiences of, of the author or the preacher, th- those things are elevated and focused on to such an extent that God's word sort of fades into the background and we end up listening more to the teachings and thoughts and experiences of a preacher or an author rather than listening to the word of God. Now, that's not to say that books and devotional writings and preachers are unhelpful. They can be immensely helpful in getting us to to read and understand and obey God's word. But some can be really unhelpful to the point of robbing us of the gift that God has given us. It calls for discernment to make sure that we're not sidelining, we're not dismissing the scriptures and seeing them in practice as a kind of second tier, second rate authority. I think the other way that we can sideline the scriptures is just by, in practice, ignoring them and being distracted by everything else that's going on in life. And that's easy. It's easy to do that. And I recognise that. I recognise it's easy to do myself. And so what I want to say as we look at this part of God's word is just stop and consider what a staggering thing these few verses in Galatians are saying. The gospel Paul preached, which we have written down in our Bibles, is not something of human origin. It's not of this world. It's, it's out of this world. Because the God of the universe who created us, who sustains us, who knows us, who will one day judge us, God has broken into this world and has revealed this news to his apostle Paul and through his apostle to us. God has spoken. We, uh, we listen to all sorts of voices and information, news feeds that sort of wash over us. God has given us the ultimate, ultimate important news feed for us to listen to. Call it the God feed, if you like. God has spoken. And we can access that. We can listen to that. What a privilege. And it's not just a kind of nice little optional extra bit to help us along in life. This is the powerful, life-changing word of God that can can take a, a violent persecutor of the church and radically transform him by his grace to show him mercy, to show him forgiveness, to save him, to use him greatly for his kingdom. This divinely revealed gospel is glorious. It's powerful. So let me encourage you to to hear it, to receive it, to listen to it. As I said earlier, I I do want to encourage you to read your Bibles. But not because it's some kind of 
burdensome duty that you, you have to do, but because it's the word of God and because you want to know it, you want to listen to what God has revealed to us. Let's not succumb to the, the voices of, of those who downplay the scriptures as just another perspective, the words of a man, something that we might consider or reference. No, let's embrace the message of, of the gospel. Embrace it for what it is, not as, the, the, as something from Paul, not as something from the church, but as from God. Let's grab hold of it. Let's read it. Let's, let's listen to it. Let's learn it. Let's be like the, the Thessalonians who Paul wrote to. And in 1 Thessalonians 2, he said, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. May God likewise work in us by his glorious, gracious, life-changing word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank and praise you for your grace in the gospel of Jesus, for your grace to, to sinners like us, even sinners like, like Saul. Father, we thank and praise you that you have spoken that you have revealed your gospel to Paul and to the other apostles and that we have the precious gift of the scriptures that we can read. Father, we ask that you'd help us to not sideline or dismiss your word or to elevate other voices over it. Father, help us to read and learn and listen to you as we read our Bibles. Father, help us to receive your word as it is, not as a human word, but as your word, which is indeed at work in us. We ask for your help in this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.